All right, so Matt, I, I figured something out the other day, and I, I thought this was pretty cool, and I wanted to share it with you. Did you know that here in the United States, all cities are named after their water tower? After their water tower? Yeah. I mean, if you go really? through, you got, you know, says Dallas on the water tower. So obviously, obviously they build the city around them, and they call it Dallas. You worked hard on that, didn't I you? I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody. Here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Whew, I'm good. I'm good. It's a, it's a rare night in the in the graveyard. So it is. We're we're not we're not usually up on this night. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's gonna be fun. Right? Yeah. It, I mean, we a couple days later than normal, but uh, it it did mess up our routine. But you know, a, a little uh, spontaneous stuff is nice every now and then. <laughs> yeah. We're notice we're not telling y'all. Yeah, exactly. What, what night this is? No, no. <laughs> if we told you, then you know that that would spoil the secret. So, uh, what whatever it is, it was weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whenever you're listening to this, it, just know this was a couple weeks ago when we did this. So, so real quick, we wanted to thank Podbelly, uh, Podbelly dot com. Uh, we're proud members of the Podbelly Network, so go check them out for other podcasts and to find out information on how to record a podcast for software to what mics to use and all that, check them out, podbelly.com. We also wanted to, if you are not a Patreon member, then go sign up for Patreon. We're we're trying to put out videos for the $10 plus patrons, and we're, you know, getting audio stuff out for the other patrons in we're trying to keep it active now when this month is a little weird um, because matt's going on vacation i'm going on vacation and you know we had a little family issue on my side so it's kind of keeping us from getting as many patreon episodes out as we normally would but just hang with us and we'll make up for it um by getting more out but uh on that note another thing that helps us if you can't donate monetarily to become a patron then reviews help quite a bit go to you know apple Podcasts or whatever and rate and review us on there give us five stars uh if if you want to give us anything below four stars just don't worry about it uh you know like mama said if you ain't got nothing nice to say don't say anything at all um (laughs) (laughs) yeah But, you know, you can write whatever you want in there. Uh, Just click the five stars. It helps us out tremendously. It helps us grow in the charts. And we've got to beat these famous people who started their podcast because they're bored. 
Matt and I do this. Yeah. You know, this is our gig. We've been doing this for three years now, just about. And, you know, they're they're movie stars. They don't need this. So give us a review instead of Dak Shepard or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, You know, Adam, I I, I found something. I heard a story today. Uh I don't know how how huge of a story uh, this was because where where I heard it was, you know, fun, fun news. And uh, I, I think the story broke back in June. So you may have heard this, but it was too good not to share. All right. So just a little quickie before we get into the main the main meat of the show. But um, so this story, Adam, I, I, you may have heard it. If you had, you hadn't mentioned it. But uh, it, it's a it's a former um, uh, soccer player named Guillermo Marino. Now he was late to a training session years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is just now coming out. He arrived late because he said he was abducted by aliens. Okay, No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So Guillermo Marino shows up late to a training session, and his excuse is that he was abducted by aliens. Says, I, I need to use case- that excuse more. <laughs> I mean, you know, he said, I left and I came back two days later because I was kidnapped by aliens. And they said, but, you know, he's not that kind of player. Uh, he was a really proper guy. And and everybody knows, um, knows Marino. And he started to explain that he was suddenly lost and abducted by aliens. He explained that they take out your soul, analyze it, and all the while on the journey, they're looking after you. Something like that, he said. <laughs> and it was, you know, his two teammates on, uh, it looks like the Universidad de Chile team from 2011 to 2013 uh, say that this situation took place back then. And uh, Lord Zeddy is the player that was in the interview. He's confident that Marino is telling the truth. And he didn't believe that Marino was the type of player that would just make up an excuse like that because he was running late. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> and, I, and when I hear this story, I'm like, that's great. You know, oh, yeah. you show up and everybody's like, where the hell you been, man? Yeah. I was abducted by aliens. Yeah. So on the way over here, you ne- <laughs> you're never going to believe this. You're never going to believe this. What happened was this spaceship came down. What I mean, I think this is the first time, Matt, that I have heard an abductee claim that they remove your soul to examine it. Yeah. You know. That's you, a new one. You may get stuff like, well, you know, they they can look at your life and da 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 but never have I heard the phrase, they remove your soul and examine it and take yeah. care of your body. And take care of you the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> i loved it i, I mean like, this is this is great yeah that's fantastic i love that story because what do you, what else are you gonna do yeah you know you you show up and there's like i got abducted by aliens man yeah really you can't come up with anything better than that no 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 man <laughs> yeah. I'm, i swear i'm telling the truth you know this is what happened 
Yeah. And, and you're just kind of like, well, you know, you're either just call him out and go, okay, you're done. Right. Get out. Or you're like, well, man, you know, he's really good. We got to, hey, we got to keep him around. Yeah. You're so what flabbergasted at that point. You just allow it to run. You're like, okay, whatever. Right. Just keep going. But in all seriousness, it does kind of go back to what you and I have talked about before. People that come forward and have a story like this that have something to lose by yep. sharing a story like this. Yep, exactly. Um, you kind of want to believe them. You know, I mean, you know, they've got a reputation. You know, I mean, you, you don't want to be labeled some kind of crackpot. And right, you, you know that's bound to happen. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, people still label you as that nowadays if you come out with a story. We're, we're still not to the point where some, you know, peop, the mainstream believes you, you know. Yeah. So the mainstream is going to say, oh, this dude's a wacko, you know. And so you, you are risking a lot by coming out and yeah. saying something like that. So yeah, it's that's interesting. I had not seen that one, and I like the details <laughs> of his of his story. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing. Hello. Hello. I'm Tom. And I'm Andrea. And we're the hosts of We Drink and We Know Things. The podcast. We're a husband and wife comedy show. We cover all kinds of stuff from UFOs to cryptids. We also cover a lot of true crime and some paranormal. And we do it all while getting drunk. Yeah, we sit in our office, we have a good time, and we have some drinks. Every month we put out bonus episodes. We give you some cool stuff like creepy pastas and the glitch in the matrix. So be sure to come and hang out with us. We're a weekly podcast. Doused in alcohol. And lit with knowledge. Clinkies. So, Matt, since we're so good at segues and, and our non sequiturs are amazing, That's on right. that note, tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Well, tonight we're talking about more disappearances yes. and more weird occurrences and more things where people could go, listen, you are not going to believe this. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we've got some stories like that tonight. We're going to talk about the Lake Michigan Triangle. And yeah. I know a lot of you are out there going, what? Yep. What is the Lake Michigan Triangle? And I even know some of y'all in Michigan may not know. That's right. And, and you may think, I know about the Bermuda Triangle. I've, I've heard about that. I've read about that. I've never heard of a Lake Michigan Triangle. Well, according to a lot of people, it really exists. And a lot of the same things that have been attributed to to the Bermuda Triangle, occur in the Lake Michigan Triangle. Exactly. So Adam's going to give us a little bit of history and kind of go into where it is and what makes it up, and and that'll kind of give you an idea of, of the area, the geography that we're talking about. Then we're going to dig into some of these stories because some of them are, are pretty weird. And, yeah, you know, they, they don't really have easy explanations. No, which is, I mean, that that's classic for a triangle of sorts, you know, that's either right. Lake Michigan or Bermuda Triangle. I mean, you look at the, some disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle. There is no easy explanation for that. And like Matt said, that parallels the Lake Michigan Triangle, I mean, a lot. So yeah. let's get into it. First of all, if you want to keep going on the research, go down and check out our sources at the bottom of the show notes. You can 
see what we've what we've covered and maybe go on to some other stories and facts that we did not get to cover because we didn't have time to. But now Lake Michigan is the third largest of the Great Lakes when you're measuring like water surface. It's the third largest and only uh, and, and it's the only Great Lake that's located entirely in the United States. The rest of them are partially in Canada. Um, its name is derived from the Ojibwa Indian word Michigami, which means large lake. So Michigan, Michigami, large lake makes sense. Now, Lake Michigan's water surface is 22,300 square miles, or for our metric listeners, that's 57,800 square kilometers. So that's a big lake. It's a big lake. Big lake. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to do what's going on in my head. I yeah, good, I, good. I have a joke. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Save that for Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the second largest of the Great Lakes by volume, um, and it's 1,180 cubic miles or 4,920 cubic kilometers, and only Lake Superior is bigger by volume. Well, Lake Michigan. I tell you this, Adam. I can remember the first time I actually saw Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. I was, I was in my early twenties, and I mean, I I was not. I I'd really I had not been anywhere. I mean, I I'd, I'd been to the ocean, right? You know, and I'd I'd been around the south, but I hadn't really traveled much further north than Kentucky. So early twenties, I'm like twenty one, twenty two. I'm in Chicago. And I, and I see Lake Michigan for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was amazed because yeah. in my head, I knew what a lake looked like. I mm-hmm. mean, this was like, it was like looking at, at, the, at the sea. Yeah, it's an I mean, inland it ocean is what it is. Huge, you know. With, I mean, I'm looking out there and there's like enormous boats. Yep. I mean, sailboat, not lake boats, ocean boats. Yep. And, and I waves just, I guess, and yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a beach. I mean, yeah. There's waves, and and I just had I had no idea. Um, so you know, if if you've never visited the Great Lakes, you know it, it. Sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around how big we're really talking about when we keep using the word lake. You know, lake is mm-hmm. the technical term, right? You know, because officially, you know the the way they are, they are a lake. They are just enormous ginormous yeah and you know it's hard to get scale when you're looking at a picture it's hard to really you know if you google search pictures of it you can kind of tell okay those boats seem a little big for a lake you know and for some of our uh, overseas listeners you know they they may never have the chance to see it except in in photos and stuff and and it's just it's hard for me who's lived in the United States my whole life to wrap my head around how big Lake Michigan is, you know? So someone who doesn't live here probably can't wrap their head around it either. Even with these stats on, you know, surface area and, and everything, you know, 22,300 square miles of water surface. That's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, it is. But, Lake Michigan being so big, it touches Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. 
So approximately 12 million people live along the shores of Lake Michigan, according to the New World Encyclopedia. Now, some of the major port cities that I'm sure you guys have heard of include Chicago, Illinois, with a population of 2.7 million, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 600,000, Green Bay, Wisconsin, of 104,000, and Gary, Indiana, of 80,000. So, you know, Chicago is obviously the biggest, but you've got a lot of other large port cities that touch Lake Michigan. Now, on the northern end, Lake Michigan and Lake Huron are connected by the Straits of Mackinac, and this is a four to five mile wide channel. So basically, Lake Huron and Lake Michigan are the same lake. They're the same body of water, technically, but because that it's just like a, a, a four or five mile wide strait, they chop them up into two different lakes, Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. So when you're looking at it, just you know, keep in mind that these both these bodies of water are the same body of water. Mm-hmm. Now, water temperature on Lake Michigan, you know, may get into the 60s in uh, July and August. And it can sometimes make it to the 70s when the air temperatures have been in the 90s for a number of continuous days. So it it's a very, it's not a cold lake, but it's also, you wouldn't want to jump in to 60 degree water for long. Right. You know, <laughs> that, that, that will chill you to the bone pretty quickly. Um, but unless it, you're my kids. Y- yeah, right. Right. Pool, pool's open. I look at the look at the thermometer. Hey, it's 60 degrees. There. Splash. Yeah. Are you insane? Get in. Get in, dad. No. 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 <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm I, I think you and I talked about it. Michael for some reason does not know cold water. You know, it, it doesn't bother him. And for me, it's He's a polar bear. Excruciating if it's too cold. <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh. Oh, Amanda, she'll cut you to get out of it. So continuing the water discussion um, to get off the cold water and kids thing, um, the water of Lake Michigan has this weird, like, circulatory pattern. They say that it resembles the traffic flow in a cul-de-sac. So, like, going down one side, making a loop, and coming back the other side. So it's this weird, like... Circular pattern that most lakes, they say, don't really have. It also moves really, really slowly. So despite the circulation, you probably couldn't tell, you know, by average observation because it moves so slowly. Yeah, you're not going to put a paper boat out there and watch it just start spinning around. (laughs) Right, right. It's a really slow lumbering circle. Well... They say winds and resulting waves keep Lake Michigan from actually freezing over during the winter, but it has been 90% frozen on a number of occasions. They say ocean-like swells, especially during the winter, can result in a drastic temperature change along the coast, also shoreline erosion and difficult navigation. So the, the wind and the waves on this lake make it difficult to traverse the lake. Yeah. And, you know, that will come back up a little bit later, but just keep that in mind. 
They say the average water depth of Lake Michigan is 279 feet or 85 meters, and its maximum depth is 925 feet or 282 meters. So that is a deep lake. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's crazy how deep that lake is. We, we got to look at kind of how it was formed to understand why it's so deep and why it's such an unusual lake. And the, the formation that's recognized as Lake Michigan today, they say, began around 1.2 billion years ago when two tectonic plates were ripped apart and created this mid-continent rift. And y'all may have heard the mid-continent rift before, but... Um, yeah, one one continent got mad at the other. Uh, they yep. they both brought potato salad to the family picnic, and it started this rift. And it started this rift, <laughs> and it's been going ever since. It's a 1.2 billion-year-old potato salad rift. Look, you know, I said I was bringing the potato salad. <laughs> yeah, but yours isn't you good enough, so I brought mine. You were supposed to do baked beans. <laughs> no, your potato salad isn't good enough. I brought mine because I didn't want to disappoint the people. It's too much so. onion in your potato salad. <laughs> hey, there's just enough onion in mine. There's not enough in yours. So, <laughs> so there's there's your dramatic reenactment of the uh, tectonic uh, rift. Yeah, mid-continent <laughs> rift there. As you can tell, Matt and I are from the South, and we have heard this discussion between family members before. That's how we yeah. could properly portray both sides. Every every year, every every <laughs> every family reunion, every Fourth mm-hmm. of July picnic, yep. every graduation, every <laughs> Thanksgiving, you know. Well, they say about fourteen thousand years ago, the glacier that occupied Lake Michigan, uh, and the Lake Michigan lobe, as it was called, began to pull back from a large highland area that flanked the southern part of this lake basin. Now, the last pullback. From this highland area created a lake between the retreating ice and the moraines. And if you don't know what moraines are, moraines are basically linear deposits of rock and debris that was left by a glacier that was still for a while so that it could build up to a high level. So at the end of it, you know, the water, the, the ice is always moving in a glacier and it's yeah. always picking stuff up and, and dropping stuff. And the moraines are at the end of this glacier where it keeps dropping sediment, dirt, rock, you know, trees and stuff, and it's creating a long, straight deposit to basically create a wall um, is what the moraine is. I thought it was just the way Michigan people called a stupid person a moron. Yeah. Hey, you moraine. (laughs) (laughs) He's kidding. We love you, Michigan people. We love you. Um and essentially though the the moraines acted as a dam at the southern tip of Lake Michigan um so that water could pond behind it between it and the glacier that was pulling back. Now waves that lapped up against the moraines formed the first Lake Michigan shoreline uh, in what is now called the Glenwood phase of the ancestral Lake Michigan. It was uh 8 miles landward above where the modern shoreline is. So it was eight miles further in than what we now have. Um, This shoreline area is called the Glenwood Beach area. Now, in parts of this quote-unquote fossil beach, uh, there is only a little wave-washed pebbles and some dune sand left. But in other areas, 
the Glenwood Beach is a large, you know, multi-fingered sand pit capped by dunes, and it's real dramatic and all that stuff. But, you know, it, it varies between those two. Now, continued retreat of the Lake Michigan ice lobe from this basin opened outlets across Canada that rapidly lowered the elevation of the lake. So it was high, right? And then as it the ice pulled back, it allowed the water to escape back and go into Canada and, and other parts of the Michigan area. So the, the lake level dropped. Now, uh, the first time this happened was about 12,200 years ago. Now, this time of low lake level is known as the Two Creeks phase. Now, it ended about 11,800 years ago when the ice re-advanced into the basin. So, have another resurgence of the ice coming into the basin. And every time this happens, the reason I put all this in there is every time the ice comes in and goes back and comes in and goes back, think of it as a warm spoon in your ice cream tub. So every time you go through, it's gouging out sediment, which is making this lake deeper and deeper and deeper every time it moves. So the re-advance, uh, the the readvancement of this closed those Canadian outlets that it had, so the water ponded again and got real high. So the the lake level is up and down, and it's gouging out and making you know a deeper and deeper lake because this ice moved so much. Well, then about ten thousand years ago, the lake level rapidly fell again. This time, the low lake level is known as the Chippewa phase of the ancestral Lake Michigan. The elevation of the lake may have been more than 100 feet lower than today. Hmm. So by that time, it has scooped out a lot, but there's not a lot of, you know, there's about 100 feet less water in there than there is now. Well, the lake then continued to rise after this and we end up with the lake that we now see today. So there's your geography and history lesson of the lake. Ta-da! Um, and like I said, the reason I put that in there is just so you would understand by this advance and and moving back of the ice, that just think of it as scooping out. And that's why we have such a deep lake. And... I guess some of y'all will find that interesting. Some of y'all will be fast forwarding through that to this part right here. Shut up. Yeah. Shut up. So for those of you that made it through that, thank you. Um, For the people that skipped forward, here is your cue to start listening again right now. Now, French explorer Samuel de Champlain sent his underling Jean Nicolette to find the, quote, Northwest Passage. His underling. I his underling. It. Yep. That's <laughs> I a nice an underling. That's the nice way of saying uh your your go getter and uh you know, hey, I, I need you to pick that up, guy. Hey, I need you to go get that guy. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. It, I was I was I was an underling at my last job for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm gonna start introducing the, the, the young kids as underling. Oh yeah, that would be good. <laughs> That's how I'm going to introduce Michael. And this the, is my underling. <laughs> he, he acts out a lot, though. I ask for the TV remote, and he doesn't go get it. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, he sent Jean Nicolette out to find the Northwest Passage, but he ended up discovering Lake Michigan instead around 1634. 
1679, Nicolette explored the southernmost part of the lake where modern-day Chicago is now. So let, let's talk about what happens on the lake nowadays. There, We talked about waves making shipping difficult. That's because there is a lot of shipping that happens on this lake. I mean, it, it's you know, most of the ships you see out there are transporting goods. You know, they're I mean, it, it's a high, high traffic lake and there are major shipping lines that run basically everywhere on Lake Michigan and they ship everything. Iron ore, coal, limestone, farm products, steel and what they call project cargo which is an industrial mining equipment and, you know, big things like that when they determine that road transport would be too disruptive. So here in, in Texas, you know, they would just shut down lanes to bring this industrial stuff through or, or airplane parts or whatever. Well, up there, they would say, hey, if we can get it over there through Lake Michigan, let's do it. And mm-hmm. so they send it on these big old ships across Lake Michigan. Now, here's, here's a really cool thing that, that we discovered that we need to talk about that might explain some of the things that Matt's going to talk about. There are two ley lines that run directly across Lake Michigan. So we, we need to talk about what, what ley lines are. And we, we've mentioned them in other episodes, but we've not actually really discussed them i would say right matt we haven't really gone right. into yeah it. we've we've never really dug deep into ley lines but we've talked about them a lot right so the theory is that big important monuments you know like stonehenge pyramids of giza and all that are running all of them are running on a kind of energy highway quote unquote that kind of connects them all so ley lines are kind of like latitude and longitude lines in one sense but you know they're, they're not actually lines that we can actually see on a map right i'm, uh, I'm looking at a map right now of them so right uh, and i <laughs> and i saved a few so it, it's it's not a, a normal map but uh, i do have a map of ley lines yeah. now some claim that ley lines carry a powerful magnetic field while other people say that they hold some psychic power. Yeah. So everybody kind of agrees that there's something up with these ley lines. But still other people, they claim that the lines are somehow associated with like UFO landings or that they're healing properties found in the vortexes of ley lines yeah. and all that. So the everybody that discusses ley lines agrees that there is something not not ordinary something right. you know extraordinary and crazy about ley lines but nobody really knows why and and Matt and I have in many episodes discussed ley lines in the sense of you know they are basically power lines And, you know, there's a reason that our ancient ancestors built things upon these ley lines is because there's an energy source that makes up these lines or that travels, you know, like the 
the globe's magnetic pathways, mm-hmm. basically. You know, because yeah. if you if if you're discharging electricity, it's got to go some way, and that's kind of what they they think about these ley lines is that this is where the power transfers from one point of the globe to another. Yeah. You know, so, so the, the ley lines and, and how they relate to the great lakes. If, if you, if you were on our see a live show back in January, Adam and I discussed seems like so long ago. I know it seems like forever ago. It's like six months ago. No. <laughs> um, we it's discussed not 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we talked about how this this unique layout and relationship of well-known ancient sites around the world seem to fall on this this line that you can essentially make that encompasses the entire earth. Well, yeah. it's it's not just that one line that we discussed and and we bring up the ley lines such as you know, there's a ley line that connects the Great Pyramid with Stonehenge. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're talking about the, these lines. They connect uh, ancient monuments all over the globe, not just in the circle, but they also connect uh, ancient geographical uh, phenomena like the Great Lakes. So... Right. If you if you look at how, you know, the the alignment of the Great Lakes and these places, you can essentially work from the center point of where the Great Lakes were Michigan and Superior and Huron and Ontario come together. It almost looks like they fan out like a flower from a center point. If you take Mm -hmm. that point, you you can work outward with with 10 uh, radii and they they go straight out to well-known ancient sites easter island machu picchu mm-hmm. um uh, white sands mumbai all of these places and actually create you know a a, a pentagon inside which of course you can draw a star and make a pentagram and right there's, I mean, you know, you you really got to have some free time to come up with yeah. these kind of relationships. But when when they do, and and you look at them, you're like, huh, that's that's curious, right? You know, right? I I I wonder if that just happened by chance, maybe, but. You know, the, these relationships to these ancient sites, it, it just doesn't seem like it happened by chance. Some Somewhere along the line, I, I believe, and I think Adam agrees with me, that ancient civilizations understood that the earth held some type of energy in either in relation to the stars or, or you know, the relation to these ley lines and... That's why some of these places exist where they do. Right, right. And because of the way these ley lines pass out from the Great Lakes area, there's a lot of things that happen. And Lake Michigan is absolutely no exception. And so when we start talking about the triangle, you know, we we begin to, to see some things that, 
you know, really, really get bizarre. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, you take an individual incident like we're fixing to talk about. And it's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, that's weird. You know, it's strange. And then you move on. Well, then you're going to take a lot of these incidents and then you're going to take this information that we're presenting about ley lines and these relationships to other um, ancient sites around the world. And you kind of sit back and you go, huh? Yeah. This yep. can't this can't be a coincidence. Something's got to be going on that we just can't wrap our head around just yet. Right. So we're not here to discuss just Lake Michigan. We said that the topic of this episode was the Michigan Triangle. So we need to get into talking about the Michigan Triangle. Now, the Michigan Triangle is a part of the Great Lakes in North America, obviously. And the area resembles an acute angle triangle. So oh, it's adorable. Be, oh, it's very cute. So to be precise, uh, it that was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> you can cut and that it, out if you want. I'm no, I'm going to leave it in, but I'm just going to keep plugging along like it didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> now, along the left side of Michigan's quote unquote mitten, uh, the first side of the triangle is formed by connecting. Ludington to Benton Harbor, Michigan. Now, the second side spans from Benton Harbor to Manitowoc, Wisconsin. And then the triangle is completed by its third side that leaks, links Manitowoc back to Ludington. So the bizarre occurrences in the area of the lake have been, you know, the, the cause of A, this episode, and B, a lot of research that's been done over the centuries and, it, you know, we're not talking about a ginormous area of the lake, being that it is so big, but it's large enough. So researchers have argued a lot about what is the first event that actually occurred. So let's look at one event, one account that claims it to be the very first. The history of Abnormal incidents in the Michigan Triangle can be traced to the late 17th century. Now, this article says it was a time when the world was exploring new ways and routes of expanding trade. So, Le Griffon, one of the largest sailing vessels of its time, set out on its maiden voyage in 1679 to find a northwest passage to China and Japan. All went well until the ship reached the Michigan Triangle, never to come back. So, although it's not the only ship that might have been submerged, they say the horrifying part is that no wreckage of the ship nor any traces of the crew have been found to date. It's not unusual that they didn't find it then. I mean, we've already talked about how deep this lake is. But we haven't found any evidence of it now. Or, or when we had the technology to go much deeper and look around for it. Um, so that that's what's really strange is that we've got some of these ships that just seemingly vanished. Yeah, and it's, 
it it it's nuts to think about because you're in a lake and yeah it's a big lake but you're in a lake so you would think that some of these ship parts or bodies or something would come to the shore at some point and be found right but there's a lot of them there's a lot of them that have not right all right adam Let's take a minute and talk about this week's sponsor, Every Plate. With Every Plate, you can experience full plates and fuller wallets with America's best value meal kit. Get meals you'll enjoy and your bank account will love delivered right to your door. Think of it this way. One meal is the same price as one cup of coffee. I know it's great how... Uh how affordable they really are. Uh, Every Plate offers contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking on a budget. So you don't have to talk to anybody and you've got your box of food. There's less time deciding what to cook and that means there's more time spent enjoying the good food with your family. Now Every Plate does the meal planning, the shopping, and the prepping for you taking the time-consuming guesswork out of cooking. And like we've said before, Matt and I hate going to the store. We hate planning the meals and all that stuff. We don't mind the cooking. So every plate is great. They send everything to your house, and it's very affordable. And you can just open the box and start cooking, which is great for Michael, too, because Michael has a short attention span, and he can help us cook with these every plates. We did a sticky sweet chili chicken the other night. Oh, that, that was, sounds good. Oh, it was it was fantastic. And even Michael liked it. And he's not too big on the spicy stuff because this wasn't really spicy. It was like that kind of the mild chili, so you just get the flavor yeah. of it and it's got this like sticky sauce over the Oh, it was amazing. And he enjoyed cooking it. It was easy. Everything was right there. It was fantastic. And Adam, you know, these meal kits have become so common that everybody wonders which is the best one. And, and what sets every plate apart is its affordability. Absolutely. It, it, is, it is the most affordable meal kit out there. So give it a shot. I, we, Adam and I think that you'll really, really enjoy this, spending some time with your family, both preparing your meal and enjoying it. Exactly. And to make it even better, our listeners can get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal. That's cheap. Where else can you get a meal for two ninety nine? That's not fast food drive through. You, you can't know? even feed yourself for two ninety nine. Exactly. So you can get two ninety nine per meal, and all you have to do is go to everyplate.com and enter our promo code Graveyard Three. That's G R A V E Y A R D and the number three. That's right. You get three weeks of Every Plate meals for only two ninety nine per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code GRAVEYARD3. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D and the number three. And, and like Adam said, there's some disagreement about what the first actual occurrence was. I mean, it's a widely held belief that the actual first occurrence in the Lake Michigan Triangle was not recorded until 1891. Now, the Thomas Hume was a schooner that was built in Manitowoc, Wisconsin in 1870. The ship was christened the H.C. Albrecht in honor of its first owner, 
Captain Harry Albrecht. Now, in 1867, the ship was sold to a Captain Welch from Chicago. In the following year, the ship was bought by Charles Hackley, a lumber baron who owned the Hackley Hume Lumber Mill on Muskegon Lake. The ship was then renamed as the Thomas Hume in 1883 after Hackley's business partner. Now, the Hume would make many successful trips across Lake Michigan until May 21st, 1891, when it disappeared, along with its crew of seven sailors. Now, not even a trace of the boat was ever found. The Hume on, was on a return trip from Chicago to Muskegon, having just dropped off a load of lumber. Now, the mystery of the disappearance of the Thomas Hume led to a number of speculations as to what happened. Some, for instance, suggested that the crew of the ship stole it, turned it into another vessel by repainting it, or that it was struck and sunk by a much larger freighter, and the captain swore his crew to secrecy. Now, others... Hmm suggested that the ship was a victim of the Michigan Triangle. Now, you know, I got to think, if you're a captain and you run down another ship and wreck it and it sinks and you've got to try to convince everybody on your ship to keep their trap shut. Yeah. That's got to be hard. It's not going to be that easy. I mean, at some point, this captain's going to die, and somebody may be hanging around and go, hey, you know what? He told us all to be quiet, but we ran over that ship. That never happened. So I don't believe that. Seems like a pretty hard task to uh, have have taken it and repainted it and made it a whole nother ship. Okay? But right. we, we may have actually and found like it. you said, with a, with a lot of other uh, conspiracy theory type things, how are you going to keep that many people silent for that long? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the, but the Hume wouldn't be seen again until 115 years later in 2006 when the a- A&T Recovery Diving Team found it in the southern part of the lake in remarkably good condition. Now, researchers still examine the wreckage in an attempt to piece together what happened in its final moments. Now, there was a lot of question as to was this actually the wreck of the Thomas Hume? And, and after a few years, they finally determined that they believe that it indeed is. So 115 years, this thing sat at the bottom of the yeah. lake and nobody, nobody found it until this, uh, this diving team found it. It's pretty amazing. That is, that's crazy how, how long it can stay submerged. Yeah. So they don't know what happened. So by, by searching the wreckage, they're hoping they can piece together what exactly happened. And as, as strange as that might be, I'll do you one better. In 1883, the crew of a wooden tugboat named the Mary McLean that worked out of the Chicago Harbor had a really weird experience. They claimed to have witnessed Huge blocks of ice falling from the sky while they were on the lake. For Wild. an entire 30 minutes, 
ice rained down so powerfully that it caused dents in the tug's wooden surface. Now, we're not talking about hail here, folks. We're talking about huge hunks, two-pound hunks of ice, they say. And the, That's the crazy. Crew, the crew actually managed to save a large chunk of the ice in its galley icebox when they would retell this, this story. Now, what makes it even more strange is it apparently happened on a, uh, uh, with a cloudless sky. Weird. <laughs> yeah. So it's just random ice falling from nowhere. Yeah. Random ice, no clouds, it's not hail. What is going on? You know, there's these enormous hunks of ice falling from the sky. It's like somebody think, just blew up a glacier. Yeah, you'd think the end of the world was coming. Yeah. Like, and just clear sky and you got two pound chunks of, of hail falling on you. Well, hell yeah. In 1883, that's probably exactly what they were thinking. Yep, exactly. Now, another ship um, that mysteriously disappeared was the Rosabelle. The Rosabelle was a wooden two-masted schooner built in 1863 at the Leonard H. Boole Shipyard in Milwaukee and cost an estimated $4,500. Now, that's a lot of money back then. Yeah. On October 30th, 1921, the Rosabelle left High Island bound for Benton Harbor with a load of lumber. The ship apparently met a storm east of Milwaukee in Lake Michigan. She was found 42 miles east of Milwaukee, bottom side up, with no survivors and no bodies. Wow. The yawl was missing, leading some to believe that she was involved in a, colli- in a collision, but the Coast Guard later determined that that was incorrect as there were no pieces from another vessel found. She was later beached in order to salvage her lumber, but some sources say some sources say that there were eleven sailors on board that were lost. Others say nine, um, but there were no survivors and and no real reason for this ship to have completely capsized. That's wild. Yeah, it's really that wild. Is wild. And and you know we we talked about the winds and the waves and the odd current in Lake Michigan. It does have some really peculiar weather patterns that occur. Uh, over the lake, and so it, it's not just like going out for a leisurely cruise to get from one end of this lake to the other. I mean, it's it can be very, very treacherous. And when we're talking about ships that that sailed over this lake, you know, from the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, you know, they weren't necessarily equipped to handle. The, those kind of storms. Sure. I mean, these these weren't ocean liners. I mean, these weren't ships that were meant to travel in weather of of, of that scale. Yeah, you like, got people building what they consider lake vessels mm-hmm. because on the shore of the lake, they're not seeing this crazy weather that happens in the middle of the lake. You Absolutely. know, so they're not a hundred percent prepared for this. Like like you said, they're not building ocean worthy craft yeah so i can see how they get themselves in trouble exactly now the the weird things and disappearances that happened on the on the lake and in the michigan triangle aren't limited to to ships the uh, the northwest orient airlines flight 2501 disappeared in the michigan triangle in 1950 now the plane was carrying 55 passengers and three crew 
and it was one of the deadliest commercial airliner accidents at the time. The pilot had just requested to descend to 2,500 feet because of a, quote, severe electrical storm, which was lashing the lake with high-velocity winds, and then the plane disappeared from radar. Now, the cause of the crash was never determined, as the plane's wreckage was never found. Now, although human body fragments and light debris were found floating on the lake surface, they couldn't actually find the bulk of the wreckage. Human body fragments. Human body fragments. That's a statement you don't hear often. That's right. It's one you don't particularly want to hear. Yeah, (laughs) right. Or say, for that matter. That's exactly right. But about two hours after the last communication with Flight 2501, two police officers reported seeing a strange red light hovering over Lake Michigan and disappearing after 10 minutes, leading Hmm. many to believe that a UFO was to blame for the plane's disappearance. I, you know, if they pick up people and, and examine their souls out of their body, That's right. why not do this? Yeah. I mean, that may explain why there, there was so little evidence found of, of the plane. I don't know right. that it's, it's really, really strange, but it's also strange that, that when the, the police officers witnessed this, it was roughly the same time as the plane would be, uh, making their distress call. Right. And it, you know. And we hear stuff like that about the Bermuda Triangle, too, that they're, you know, weird lights and weather patterns and, you know, ships disappear, planes disappear. You don't find anything. If you do, it's just a little something that just enough to let you know that, yep, something happened, but not enough to tell you what happened. And and I mean, as Matt keeps going, listen to these parallels between the Michigan Triangle and the Bermuda Triangle. It's incredible, the parallels. Right, especially with the plane going off the radar. I mean, that's a common theme with these disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle. We got the plane on radar. We've got them on radar. Where'd they go? Yep, Just all of a sudden out of the blue. And that doesn't normally happen in a plane crash. You know that the plane is crashing because you still have them on radar. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and you know their final destination because of radar. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the more famous cases from the Triangle is the disappearance of Captain George Donner. On April 28, 1937, after picking up a load of coal in Erie, Pennsylvania, Donner's freighter, the McFarland, was traveling through the dangerous ice-filled lakes. Now, the captain had been resting in his cabin after guiding his vessel through a particularly treacherous course and left instructions to, ha- to awaken him when the ship neared its destination. Now, about three hours later, a crew member went to alert him that they were nearing the port. When the second mate arrived at the captain's cabin, there was no trace of him in his room or anywhere else on the ship. The door had been locked from the inside and the mate had to break in. A thorough sort search, or search, it's a, it's a, a search. thorough search. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've been through one of those before. <laughs> it, a, a search is even more thorough than a search. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it involves body cavities and things like that. It, it's Yeah, it's one step more <laughs> thorough. 
Man, I hope to never get sorched. Oh, dude, never get sorched. You don't recover from a good sorching. I tell you, there's always something that sticks with you after a good sorching. Man, you know, I got sorched and I didn't even get dinner. Oh, <laughs> uh, but this uh, this thorough search of uh, the rest of the ship didn't reveal any clues as to where the captain may have gone. Yeah, it's a ship for crying out loud. Where the hell is he going to go overboard? Right, exactly. So re- re- reportedly, McFarland was in the triangle at the time the captain is said to have disappeared. And to this day, no one was ever no one's been able to figure out what happened to Captain Donner. So here is the story. A guy just goes missing off a ship. And it's not just any guy, the captain. Yeah. Captain, it, his, his stateroom is locked from the inside, and and he's nowhere to be found. Left to rest, gave specific instructions on when to come wake him up, and he's gone, and he's nowhere on the ship. you got to think, everybody on the ship is going to know the captain. So it's not like he's going to be able to sneak around. I mean, if he yeah. runs into anybody, they're going to yeah, be right. going, well, we saw him, you know, over here. Or, mm-hmm. or yeah, he was here just a few minutes ago. Or, or about he's hiding hour. behind that yeah. barrel of beans, and he said, Shh, "Don't tell <laughs> the first mate." That's yeah. right. So where, where are you going to hide? And then they're going to search for you. So now you got to try and stay hidden mm-hmm. on a ship. I mean, no. I yeah. mean, he he obviously wasn't there. So either the captain decided, "Hey, I got all these people through this really dangerous ice, and and I'm done. I'm 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 cashing in, and I'm yeah, going to jump no overboard." More captaining. Which doesn't nope. make any sense. No. Nope. Or or something something really weird did happen to him. Mm-hmm. So now, as we mentioned before, with the uh, um, with the flight twenty five hundred one, that wasn't the the only UFO sighting that's occurred around the Michigan uh, Triangle. And in fact, it has been become it, it has become well known as a hotbed for UFO activity. But one of the most uh, most famous stories comes from March 8th, 1994, when calls flooded 911 call centers to report strange sightings in the night sky. Now, the reports came from all different types of people, from police, a meteorologist, you know, local residents, uh, Michigan's beach resorts. Hundreds of people witnessed what many insisted had to be UFOs. Now, Cindy Pravda of Grand Haven remembers that night in in pretty good detail. She says there were four lights in the sky that looked like full moons over the line of trees behind her horse pasture. Pravda remembers, I watched them for a half hour. Where I'm facing them, the one on the far left moved off. It moved to the highway and then came back in the same position. Pravda told the free press the one to the right was gone in the blink of an eye, and then eventually everything disappeared quickly. That's now, weird. Yeah. Now, Daryl and Holly Graves and their son Joey told reporters in 1994 that they witnessed the lights in the sky over Holland, Michigan at about 9.30 p.m. on March 8th. They said they saw six lights out the window above the barn across the street. Now, Joey Graves told the Free Press in 94, 
I got up and went to the sofa and looked up at the sky. They were red and white and moving. Now, other people gave similar accounts, including Holland police officer Jeff Veldhaus and a meteorologist from the National Weather Service office in, Mus- in Muskegon County. Now, what's really, what's really weird is that the meteorologist recorded unknown echoes on his radar at the same time the Veldhaus, that Veldhaus reported the lights. Now, the, the meteorologist says, my guy looked at the radar and observed three echoes as the officer was describing the movement. Now, Leo Grenier of the National Weather Service office in uh, Muskegon said in 1994, the movement of the objects was rather erratic. The echoes were there about 15 minutes, drifting slowly south-southwest, kind of headed toward the Chicago side of the south end of Lake Michigan. In 1995, the Free Press published the conversation between the National Weather Service and Veldhaus. What do you think it is, said the Weather Service radar operator. Veldhaus described witnesses seeing five to six objects, some uh, cylindrical with blue, red, white, and green lights. The radar operator said there were three and sometimes four blips, and they weren't planes. Planes show as pinpoints on the scope. These were the size of half a thumbnail. They were from five to 12,000 feet at times, moving all over the place. So they were big. Yeah, they were big. Three were moving toward Chicago. I never saw anything like it before, not even when I'm doing severe weather. So, you know, this is one of those weird UFO cases that you it's kind of like the Phoenix Lights. You've got so many witnesses and so much evidence, you know, that says, right, right. okay, we're not saying it's a UFO. We're not saying it's aliens. We're not saying it's anything. All we're saying is there was something in the sky that night, and a lot of people saw it, and we have evidence that it was there because we have radar evidence that it was present. You know, right? just if you want to discount all these people that walked outside and said, we saw a bunch of lights up in the sky, and you can go, oh, well, it was this or, oh, it was that. Well, what about the fact that the National Weather Service picked it up on radar and can't explain mm-hmm. it and said it was not a plane because right. planes aren't that big on the radar. And these things were huge. Right. Yeah, if you're talking uh, a plane is a pinpoint mm-hmm. and these were thumbnail size. Yeah. That is ginormous. Yeah. That's ginormous. So, I mean, you can see why people from such a wide span were able to see these things and mm-hmm. to see these lights. Um, but it's one of those stories that just doesn't, it doesn't get a lot of play when you, when you first start looking into unexplained lights in the sky. Um, it was a story that I hadn't heard before until I came across it researching this. So, um, but a, but a pretty amazing story. But again, it's something right there in the Michigan triangle. Right. So you see what I mentioned at the beginning of the show when we were talking about coincidences and, and, and things like this and ley lines that you take them by themselves and they just seem like weird occurrences. Sure. But when you put them all together and then you start going, they're all happening within this triangle. 
and then you take all the data about the ley lines, you know, and about how Lake Michigan was formed and how old it is and how deep it is and the weird weather patterns, you really start to wonder, is there something going on right here that's causing a lot of these strange occurrences? And even if it's not causing it, it's it's definitely a magnet for them. You know, it's it, there's something there yeah. that's drawing some oddities to that area, and people have taken notice. So the the thing that like it makes me think of is is we think of like Skinwalker Ranch, and is there something at Skinwalker Ranch that's causing the phenomena or is skinwalker ranch just uh, uh an attractant like a magnet to this weird phenomena so is the michigan triangle a lot like skinwalker ranch in that sense that it's just attracting or is it causing and it, i don't know that we'll ever really know the answer to that you know in our lifetimes but there seems to be a lot of places that are that way and it's yeah. just the Michigan Triangle is one of those weird things that not a lot of people know about because yeah. it doesn't get a lot of attention. And right. so Matt and I thought it would be cool to bring some attention to it. But, you know, my 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 idea and I, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this again, but my, my idea is that with all of these situations. Ancient civilizations understood that something was was going on and they they tried to either harness that power or to understand it and we in the modern era see the remnants of of what what mm-hmm. was what they had done in an attempt to either understand it or we're seeing the evidence of their understanding which i, yep, I exactly I, I tend to lean more towards the latter that they had yep. managed to figure it out. And for whatever reason, that knowledge was lost. And we don't have it today. And we're, we're trying to rebuild it by by looking at these ancient ruins and these, these clues that they left behind that tell us they knew something. They had to have. You know, they, they were yeah. able to do things without right. the technology that we have. We don't understand what technology they had. And it, it makes us believe, much like Adam has mentioned many times, they had technology that we are unaware of. That they had they had somehow mm-hmm. managed to harness some power. They had some type of communication with a higher intelligence that allowed them to do things that took us centuries to be able to do because we, we see this evidence yep. and, and this story right here, you know, this, this kind of shows it in 2007, Northwestern Michigan college professor, Mark Holly discovered a North American stonehenge while diving. The stones were found 40 feet below the surface of Lake Michigan. Some are arranged in a circle, and one appears, according to Holly, to have a carving of a mastodon, an an animal that went extinct about 10,000 years ago. 
But in order to confirm the age of the stone and the legitimacy of the carving, experts want to see it firsthand. And Holly says, experts in petroglyphs generally don't dive. So we're running into a little bit of a stumbling block. But if it's found, yeah, if it's found to be true, the formation would coincide with the post-Ice Age presence of both humans and mastodons in the upper Midwest. The formation, Mm -hmm. if authenticated, wouldn't be completely out of place. So if we look at the history, that's why it was so important to understand the history of how this lake was formed. At one point, this area was not underwater. And there were huge, it was a hundred feet lower than it is today, right? And so there were humans and these mastodons and other animals living on land in the same area, and this could be evidence of that that they were there. And now it's just it's it's just been covered up by water. It shows the building of an important thing like Stonehenge or or, or you know any other great monument on a ley line. Or right. near a ley line. Right. Because you've got two of them that bisect Lake Michigan. And here we find a Stonehenge type thing. And the the evidence, the factual evidence bears it out that during that time, the lake was 100 feet lower. Absolutely. During that time frame that they're calling for 10,000, 11,000 years ago, that's when the lake was 100 feet lower. So it absolutely shows that this is 100% plausible that this could have happened. Yeah. And why would anybody go through the trouble of building a giant monument? I don't think it's because, oh, hey, it's pretty. Let me move these big ass rocks over here and do something with it. There was a point. They did these things for a reason. And most of the time, the reason is either going to be a religious ceremony or a, a, a magical something because they believe they can harness the power of this area just like Stonehenge. Exactly. Exactly. And so much like the original Stonehenge and other stone arrangements around the globe, the question is why? And, you know, that's what Adam's talking about. It, it wasn't for fun or because it was pretty. So what would the significance of an ancient stone circle, despite the fact that it wound up at the bottom of the lake, uh, what would it be? I mean, maybe there is some mysterious energy that the indigenous people knew about or even harnessed. Now, some have yep. claimed the triangle is a time portal and that it could bend time causing a metaphysical force with a supernatural vortex of energy, an energy that would later cause shipwrecks, plane disappearances, bizarre weather patterns, and sea captains to seemingly vanish into thin air. So, I mean, what about this? I mean, we're, we, we know about the ley lines. You know, we, we understand that the original Stonehenge is built on ley lines. We know that the original Stonehenge connects to a ley line with the Great Pyramid. Here is another similar structure, mm-hmm. much like the Stonehenge, that, that we find centuries later because it's, it's now underwater in an area where all of these strange things happen. And ley lines cross right there. So 
I mean, yep. much like the original builders of Stonehenge, did did the indigenous people of of that area of of northern Illinois and Wisconsin and Michigan did they know something enough to say we need to build this structure to harness this energy mm-hmm. or or to or to connect ourselves with the stars because this is the spot this is the spot on the earth where this is supposed to happen it, right we we don't know and we may never know but as Adam said, the evidence points to the fact that they knew something. They knew something that we don't. And right, and it it just it it's amazing to me that we we've said it before, and and you alluded to it just a little bit ago. The knowledge that we've lost, that you know, obviously has been erased because of you know. I mean, if you look at just the the burning of the library of alexandria how much knowledge we lost there because they burned the books you know there was supposed to be thousands of years of knowledge and some of this could have been encapsulated in those books but we have all these quote unquote mysteries and these mystery areas in today's modern world like the bermuda triangle the michigan triangle uh uh uh, uh skinwalker ranch all this stuff what if these aren't truly mysteries? We just find them mysterious because we don't understand them. Right. And if we had a better understanding of what the ancients knew and why they were building these structures, we either could advance ourselves further or, hey, here's a little trick that we can do over here. If you walk over to Lake Michigan, you can jump back five minutes in time. You know, I mean... What 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 are we not seeing? There's got to be something that we're not seeing. This isn't just to me a quote unquote mystery area. There's something mysterious only because we don't understand it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, we have we have we have dribbled on for a long time to get to this point, but I mean, I think it's it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing point that we're. We're seeing every day things that are unearthed that give us a little bit more insight into the fact that ancient civilizations understood this stuff, Mm -hmm. that they had an idea of what our connection in the universe really is and the the power of, of the planet that we live on and the power that maybe the stars hold, you know, over this planet. Um, right. And, and it may take us centuries more to get to that point. Um, but I mean, we can, we could theorize the rest of the night for as to how they got this. And, you know, a, a, there's a lot of people that say, you know, look, it was, there were, there were aliens, you know, that here, that were lived here. There was an ancient, uh, civilization of, of superhumans of, of, a a highly intelligent race that either disappeared or, you know, went extinct or went into hiding or, or something. I mean, we, we talked about them with Mount Shasta mm-hmm. um, and lizard people and yeah, and, yeah. Lizard know, people and everything. So it's come up several episodes, all of these things that we talk about that are so strange. 
so many of them come back to these type situations that ancient civilizations understood more about the planet and the stars than really we do. You know, mm-hmm. there there is a chance that that they had knowledge that we don't have, even with the technology and with the brilliant minds that work on this every day today. They're still they're they're working a jigsaw puzzle with pieces missing. Absolutely. And and you know, uh, we 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 as humans try to try to make a piece that fits there, and it just it doesn't always fit. And and it just seems like mm-hmm. if we just had these two or three more pieces, we can understand what they understood and why they did what they did. Right. And. You know, that may, maybe we understand that they didn't know what the hell they were doing, and this was just all a big coincidence. Hey. I don't believe that for a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't, me either. I don't believe that you, you build pyramids and you stack stones that somehow seem to line up out of coincidence. It just, I don't buy it. I don't care what nope. you say. It may be completely innocuous as to why, but it wasn't by coincidence. I just, right. I just can't, I just can't buy I, that. I know. I think everybody knows I can't buy it either. So <laughs> it, it's, it doesn't seem like oh we we're putting attributing too much to this stone circle, you know, under Lake Michigan when it was just some caveman building a a <laughs> a rock garden. Makeup <laughs> yeah, or or like a makeup area ready room for his wife. Yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't something like that. It it there's a a larger significance that we're not seeing. Yeah. And you know, it, like Matt said, we we've gone on and on. So that that brings us to that time of the episode where we ask you guys, what do you guys think? You know, we we've told you about Lake Michigan, we've told you about the Michigan Triangle and we've talked about the the ley lines and the weirdness that happens around there. What what is your opinion on this stuff? Do you believe that there is a weird vortex area in Lake Michigan that causes these problems? Do you believe in you know the power of ley lines and what people say? Let us know. Uh, you know, email, get on the website and let us know, or or find us on social media and let us know. Yeah, yeah, and you can find us on on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go and search Graveyard Tales. It's the easiest way to find us. Um, and while you're at it, you can check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find uh, you can listen to the show. You can find links to buy Graveyard Tales merchandise. And mm-hmm. you can become a patron. And thank you so much to the people that have donated to the show. Like I said, we've added oh, the yeah. video uh, of Adam and I doing this right here, like like you wanted to see us flub up and mess up and all this stuff. Uh, it's it's there for our ten dollar patron members, um, and there's going to be more of that coming. So thank you once again to everybody who has donated to the show, and thank you everybody for listening. So guys, remember we're going to be dark the next two weeks, but 
in graveyard fashion, we are going to give you a bonus episode so you don't have to hang out for two weeks to wait <laughs> for some new content. Exactly. So uh, be prepared for that. It won't be a normal uh, Graveyard Tales long episode. It'll be a short one that we're pulling from our Patreon archive. So it'll give you the opportunity, if you're not a patron, to see what we do over there. And maybe you can sign up for Patreon and listen while you're waiting for us to come back. So until next time, We'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. <laughs> Listen to this. I'm, I'm on the website to read this story. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, a Best Buy ad starts playing in my ear. <laughs> Well, if it and, comes and now, now I'm hearing. I can't. If it comes through the audio, we'll have to edit it out, or we're going to get sued. So, the, you can't hear it though. No, I can't hear it. It's it's just in my ear. But anyway, anyway, so here we go. In '95, the Free Press. God. I'm getting tongue-tied in this one. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs>